Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archived shows, and it is our goal to make a difference. And um, so good morning, and I want to reiterate, yes, it is our goal always to make a difference in, in each and every week in a unique way, and uh, this week is no different because we have a very um, unique uh, presentation on um, a topic that we may have addressed a couple of times, but uh, today we have um, a, an, I like to call him an international humanitarian, uh, Patrick J. Atkinson, who is going to talk on um, w- one of his um, organizations having to do with um, human trafficking and specifically honing in on uh, um, children. So uh, before that, I just want to say a good morning to my good friend and PR manager in Myrtle Beach, Delilah. How are you? What's going on? Great, great. Thank you, Donna. It's good to be here again. Um, you know, I'm really excited about Patrick being on. I met him for the first time at his second appearance at the Q Center for Missing Persons Conference. And um, even though he is hard to get in touch with and hard to get <laughs> scheduled, it's it's well worth the trouble. So if anyone out there needs someone that can speak to the issues, and he represents so many, uh, like Donna said, humanitarian missions in the world, um, do take the time to bring him in. Um, you you won't regret one minute of it. Absolutely, and I I think part of the I think part of the draw once once you hear is that he's a great storyteller. So and 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 that kind of brings the humanity to every issue. So with without further ado, um, I want to welcome Patrick J. Atkinson, and um, he he is. Is the founder of the Institute for Traffic, uh, Traffic Exploited and Missing Persons, ITEMP, as well as executive director of another um, project, nonprofit called uh, the God's Child Project. And um, so uh, I will let him give um, a more detailed biography. I just want to say, Patrick, it was a pleasure to meet you in March and Hope we can always keep connection because you're such a vital person to know. Uh, welcome to the Shattered Lives family of radio shows today. You know, thank you, Donna and Delilah, for having me on the show today. It's um, when, when we talk about missing children or when we, when we talk about human trafficking, it's something that really reaches into who we are as, as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers because it, it, it can, and for some of us, it will affect you know, our sons and daughters, our brothers or sisters, maybe even our mother. And so it's very, very personal to all of us. And at the same time, it reaches into the scary side that we usually don't want to venture into. You know, right now we're talking, I'm, I happen to be here in Minneapolis today. It was great to meet you down in, down in Wilmington. Um, you know, it's, it, the work of Q is amazing worldwide, nationwide, you know, looking for missing persons and giving support for the people who go missing 
And it, it, lot of, for a lot of these people, this is the only thing that's giving them strength. You know, I met a lot of people down there who were just kind of searching and hoping, even though their loved one might have gone missing years ago. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Well, it's it, it's our pleasure, and um, like I say, I, I think you are a very valuable resource in so many ways. So it's our pleasure as well. Um, why don't Why don't we begin um, for the benefit of those people who did not hear you present or to know a little bit more about your background? If you could kind of give a thumbnail sketch of what has brought you to this point for the past twenty five years or more. <laughs> sure, you know. Uh, um... When you look at how some person's, you know, how personal journey goes, it, you, it, it, when we look backwards, we see, well, that kind of connected well and, you know, pieced together and here I am today. But when we start the journey, we just kind of have to let go and ride with it. I'm originally from Bismarck, North Dakota, went to college in you know, Minnesota. And my sophomore year, and this is just the honest truth, my sophomore year in college, I was having a tough time meeting girls. And so what I did, somebody said, go volunteer. So I went into a volunteer center on campus, and I looked at all of the lists of volunteer opportunities, and one of them had 22 students signed up, and they're all female. And I wasn't a math major or anything, but I said, that's where I want to go and volunteer. Well, it was a crisis line. And in doing the crisis line, all of a sudden I went from being a sophomore in college to receiving these phone calls from boys and girls and women from around the region who were runaways, who were being victimized by physical abuse, sexual abuse, alcoholism. You know, and, and, and I thought, that's not why I signed on. I signed on to meet girls, you know. Um, but it, it, the work was so compelling because you get these calls and there are people at the most tragic points in their lives. And so I, I stayed with it and I took more and more opportunities to work the crisis line. After college, I had some great opportunities for job offers, but instead I went to New York City to look for runaways, particularly from the upper Midwest, because these were basically good boys and girls who had run away because of things that were happening at home. Well, from, uh, and I spent, so I spent the next three years looking for runaways and trying to get them home. In uh, 1980s, went down to Central America. Horrible civil wars going on in El Salvador and Guatemala. So I, I went into the war zone and basically to do war zone reconciliation. That means getting people to put down their guns, stop shooting each other, let the women and the children get away, let them escape the war zones. That, um, you know, that, so we're already seeing the formation of a career, even though I was 20, 23 years old at the time, but going into war zones, being shot at, being caught in bombings, and uh, trying to get the women and the children safe. Right now I'm 58, so it's 20, uh, 35 years later, and that career is still going strong through the Institute for Trafficked Exploited Missing Persons. Wow. It's, I, you know, in listening to that, I just can't imagine how a person goes into a war zone and, 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 and gets the other family members out. And I mean, that, that could be a whole nother show in itself, Patrick. Keep that in the back of your mind. Oh, okay. Um, you know, because I just, I, I'm trying to picture how a person would do that, and admittedly, I, I don't know, but with regard to um, that as your background, and um, just as a PS, I hope in all of that, you, at some point in, the, in, in, in time, you, you did find the right woman, <laughs> because ultimately <laughs> that was your purpose. 
but look at all the other good that you have accomplished, you know, so I say kudos to you. And should we also mention proudly that you are the dad of many of many adopted children, correct? Well, you see, yes, in, in, the, in the course of doing this work, because what, what started out as a six-month commitment in Central America turned mm-hmm. into eight years in Central America, Guatemala during the massacres that were going on down there, El Salvador. Mm-hmm. That extended into Nicaragua and, and Honduras and Panama under Noriega. You know, and I, and I did have a wonderful girlfriend down there. And one day I came home uh, from doing some work in the Mosquitia area of northern Nicaragua. A horrible massacre had gone on with the Louis Pastores and the Sandinistas. And she came over and she said, tell me some war stories. And I said, oh, love, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I just, I just, want, to, I just want to shower and have a nice dinner and... and Maybe we have a campfire. And she said, mm-hmm. no, tell me some stories. You'll never talk about it. And this is very true, this metaphor. This, this live's true story is, is very true as a metaphor for what the people today in 2017 who go looking for missing children, who go into the inner cities, who go into the brothels, whether it be here in the United States or worldwide, um, go through. You, 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 just, you just want to, when you come out of the work, you just want to relax. You just want to purge yourself. You want to wash your body and wash your soul because you're dealing with the dirtiest side of society. Well, I told her, I said, okay, I'll tell you some stories. And being at that time, I think 28, I started telling her like the most gruesome things I'd seen, thinking this is going to make her realize what an important guy I am. But instead, she just looked at me because she couldn't relate. She couldn't understand what I was saying. She could hear the words but she couldn't visualize them because she had never lived them. And that, too, is very much of a metaphor for what people go through when their kids go missing here in the United States or worldwide today in 2017. You can hear stories of human trafficking. You can hear the words, but you can't visualize it because it's not part of your reality. I think that's a metaphor for for all of us when when I tell people about having a dad that was killed in a homicide or – having over 50 surgeries uh, or whatever, or uh, talking about missing persons like I do with colleagues at work, they, they, can't, they can't conceptualize it. So I think all of this stuff is such hard work that your average Joe or Joanne cannot, cannot relate. So, you know, do you kind of view yourself as a lone ranger with regard to what you do specifically? You know, Donna, every time that I pass through customs, every time I travel internationally, and you have to fill out the customs card or the border passing card, and it says, what is your job? And for the last 35 (laughs) years, I've written down the word troubadour. A troubadour. A troubadour is a medieval, it's a storyteller. Okay, because even though I'm working with governments and dictators and prison systems and missing persons, and and I go into war zones, I've, I've been... I've been shot at once. I've been knifed twice. I've, had, I've been caught in a car bombing and you know, later had to have glass surgically, surgically removed from my body. But when mm-hmm. it comes down to it, what am I doing with my life? I'm telling this story to people to keep them safe, to keep their children safe, whether it be in Nairobi or New York, you know, Boston or Bangladesh. I mean, it's all the same. It's, it's, um, that's how I see my work because so many people, like you just said, can't imagine this happening. I've given presentations, and, uh, and I look out at the crowd, and I'm constantly watching the faces on human trafficking or how to keep your children safe. And I'm watching the faces, and I'm thinking, are they breathing? And if they're not breathing, I'll do something silly. 
or I'll flash this light of my dog or I'll you know, have everybody stand up and stretch you because you've got to breathe. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make this, this ugliest side of society, which does exist and which is growing and which is a part of our children, our children, um, become a reality, but in a way that they can digest it and understand it and deal with it without being afraid that there's a boogeyman around every corner. Right. Um, I, I was just thinking maybe it might be helpful to try and paint a picture and maybe contrasting in terms of um, what you encounter for human trafficking in Central America and as opposed to what we know of um, in the U.S., uh, would do you think that would be helpful if you can you can give us a real life example? Uh, sure, and, and the, the the best real life example is this: it's the same. It's the same. The scale is different, but it's the same. Every ninety seconds, somebody goes missing against their will. Every ninety seconds, in this year alone, you know, roughly nine hundred thousand people are missing in the United States. 150,000 people are going to be missing in the United States this year alone. 150,000 more people and 750,000 people continue to be missing. You know, and that happens in Central America too. People go missing for a couple of reasons. They go missing because of family abductions, a divorce, a separation. You know, I'm not going to let you have our son because you love him and I want to hurt you. Or I want to have this son. I'm just coming and taking them because I lost the court order. I might be physically abusive, sexually abusive, um, alcoholic, drug addiction, but I want to hurt you. So I take the most precious thing I can from you. And that's our child. That's in the United States, the number one reason why children go missing. But in, in central, the number two reason that children go missing is sex predation. 57,000 people are going to be disappeared. 57,000 children are going to disappear this year in the United States by sexual predators. And these aren't people who it's not snatch and grab. That happens. You know, the white van pulls up, someone reaches out and pulls in the kid. Here in Minneapolis where I'm right now, there's a very famous case, a young boy named Jacob Witterling, who disappeared about 20 years ago. Beautiful, you know, athletic, 11-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Minnesota boy who went missing. Um, man pulled him over. He was riding his bike, got out pulled a gun on he and his friends, said, get off your bike and lay down. Looked at each of the kids, told the two kids, stand up and run. Looked at Jacob and said, get in my car. Jacob never came home. They just found his body, just found his body 20-some years later. Really? Uh, in a field not far from where he had been taken. He had been taken, put in the car, driven down a dirt road, sexually abused by the man. The man suddenly saw the police cars driving past him for looking for Jacob. And uh, <clears throat> Jacob said, I want to go home. And the man said, I can't do that. Please, sir, take me home. The man pulled out a gun and said, turn around, and shot him in the back of the head. He took the body and he buried him not far from where I'm standing right now, not far from where he had disappeared. The only reason that Jacob's body was found is because the man who was arrested was arrested on child pornography. And he had long been a sus- suspect in this disappearance and the deal was we will prosecute you only for the child pornography and not for Jacob Wetterling and you will go to a state prison and not a federal prison 
if you tell us where you buried Jacob. And he agreed. Now, but Patty it took Wetterling, all those years to do that, though? Oh, I t- mean, did they have the seal took... going the on? Did, did they, they have this deal? Was this a new deal that they offered in order to get the information? It was a new deal once the man had been arrested and had, had been taken in because when they, when they finally got enough evidence to go in, he had been a suspect for years, but when mm-hmm. they finally got enough evidence to go into his house, do the search warrant, find um, child pornography in, in quantities of child pornography, and then find articles of clothing from other boys, and none of that was Jacob's, but there had been a number of reports over the decades of children being sexually molested in that part of Minnesota. Well, they found articles of clothing. A lot of times, people um, who abuse others or who murder others, they take home a, a, a souvenir. And then by holding that souvenir, by, by smelling that souvenir, they'll relive the experience, they'll relive the fantasy, they'll relive the, the, um, the moment of the abuse. And you see, as we talk about this, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yes, that is the worst side of society, but we have to know what's out there. If we don't know what's there as parents, as brothers and sisters, um, then we can't help our kids to deal with it. You had asked about the 17 boys and girls that I had adopted. Um, mm-hmm. in, in dealing with these programs in Central America, I set up a number of programs that over the years raised about 80,000 boys and girls. There were some kids that simply could not fit into a program for one reason or another. Since I've always had good relationships with the judges, they would call me and they'd say, we got a problem. 13-year-old Rene, uh, his brother has pulled him out of the orphanage, has claimed parental custody, and he's his brother, and he's going to prostitute him out to other members of a pedophile ring. The boy's not going to say anything. Um, We can't stop it because we know it, but one thing is knowledge, the other thing is proof. And we have Renee is standing here in our office, and he's asking for help. We know his brother's going to show up any minute and ask for his brother back, and he has parental custody. We'll have to give him to him, and chances are we'll never see his, you know, we'll never see Renee again. How and he said we have two Patrick? options. How does that hmm? happen where the brother would get parental custody if they know, you know, well, again, there's, there, Donna, there's, there's two different things. We might know something, but we can't prove it. That's like mm-hmm. this man who was arrested eventually for the child pornography and sexual abuse of children in this section of Minnesota or, and the disappearance and murder of, of Jacob Wetterling. Okay, they knew, they, they knew, they strongly suspected, but in their hearts they knew he was guilty. But prove it. And that's, right. that's a problem that law enforcement has all the time. And down at the Q conference, we talked about it. I talked to parents, and they'd say, I know who killed my sister. I know who killed my daughter. And he's out there walking free and working and, and has another wife and kids. But why, why isn't he prosecuted? Because we can't prove it. Not enough evidence. Right. There's no evidence, or there's not enough evidence to convict. And I deal with that all the time. You know, we'll get kids that come into our programs, and they'll be terrified. They'll be terrified. I mean, what's the matter? Nothing. We see this with abused women around the country and around the world. You know, they have the black and blue marks, they have the bruises. You know, their husband looks at them, and when the woman starts talking, the man looks at them, and they immediately become, become quiet. They freeze up. And you know 
there's domestic violence going on. But you say, are you okay? Can I help you? And they say, everything's fine. Everything's fine. So, yeah, the conspiracy of silence. But I was just wondering in terms of the, the custody issue, how did in your scenario of, uh, of, adop- of adopting that, that child in an emergency situation, how, how did the, the sibling get parental custody? That's well, because cause, yeah. sure, cause Renee was in an orphanage. His parents had died. They were, they were killed in the war. Um, mm-hmm. Renee at that time was 11. And then he spent a couple of years in an orphanage. He was growing up. His brother was, you know, of, of legal age. I think he was 23 at the time. He was a, he was a member of a, his, even Renee said, you yeah, know, my brother um, has friends and they like to have sex with boys. And then the brother came in and said, I am Renee's brother. And I'd like to take him out of the orphanage and raise him as my son. And Renee's like, no, 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 no. But the judge wow. in the court system had to say, is there any um, objective fact, besides that Renee doesn't want to go with his brother, that his brother should not receive parental custody? There isn't, because, again, they might suspect something, but if there's no proof of it, then they have to make the most objective decision they can. Well, everybody knew what was going on with this case with Renee. And so the judge said, he called me up and he said, Pat, this is the dynamic. This is what we can do. The brother's going to be here any hour to claim his brother, to, to claim Renee. Or I can declare Renee an abandoned child and place him into adoption, permanent adoption, which cannot be done, undone. Will you adopt him? And I said, no, I have too many kids, et cetera, et cetera. He said, Pat, listen, I need this favor, and Renee needs his life. And I said, okay, I'll be on my way. I'll be there in an hour because that, that was the drive time. And the judge then goes into the hallway and says, does anybody know Renee? Yeah, of course, people just looked at him. He turned the other direction. And he said, does anybody know Renee? And then he walked down the hall and said again, does anybody know Renee? And then he said, okay, I've done three public announcements, seeing if anybody knows Renee. Nobody responded. Bam, he's legally declared an abandoned child. And 45 minutes later, bam, he was legally adopted through the Guatemalan court system. Um, wow, that's Ryan. all we have to do is make it an announcement in the hallway and you can affect change like that? <laughs> well, this, this again was in the 1980s, which is when Central America was in the middle of its you know, war zone and hundreds of thousands of people were disappearing. And that, back then it was, you know, some of my kids came to me when, uh, you know, because there had been a massacre and the, the military would go through a village and pick up the kids and they would drive up to the nearest house, knock on it and say to the adult, can I see your papers? and take the papers and write down the ID numbers, and then say, this child is now legally in your placement. Again, you're in a war zone that's, that's dealing with hundreds of thousands of, of orphans and, and, and disappeared people. You know, nowadays right. that wouldn't happen, but that's what happened back then. So technically, you know, this child judge had um, made three public announcements looking for any known relative of Renee, and uh, nobody responded. So technically, he declared the child abandoned, and technically bam, 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 papers are signed for adoption. 45 minutes later, Renee is now Renee Atkinson. And uh, his brother did show up, and the judge said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. We did three public announcements. Nobody responded. He's already been legally adopted. Now, the brother could have fought it, but he didn't. He knew that there were other victims out there. So, again, Renee's life was saved. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah, and then... Renee, right now, he's, he's living here in the United States. He's married 
American citizen, uh, has two children. Um, you know, his life was saved because the doing judge, well, yeah, doing well, yes, and because this judge knew how to work the system as it existed back in the 1980s in Central America, and uh, other children not as lucky. Well, in in um, the scheme of you having the 17 children, was that the scenario in a majority of how you got the other children, or, or was is that sort of the exception to the rule? Well, that'd be the exception. Another girl that I had in Central America, um, you know, another girl that I adopted, because over the years I adopted nine boys and eight girls. Uh, five of them had passed away. Three of them were murdered. Two of them died by disease. One of the girls, her name's um, Anna Beatrice. Uh, Anna Beatrice was in her front yard, little six-year-old girl in El Salvador. And this car drove past. The mother was inside the shack. The little girl is playing in the front yard, and car drove by twice. The mother is watching, watching, watching. All of a sudden, the car stops on the third time. Two people got out. They grabbed Anna Beatrice, who was playing in the front yard, threw her in the car, and drove off. The entire abduction probably took six seconds. The mother, who had been very aware of it, that something wasn't right, ran out, but the car was gone. And she, of course, was a peasant, a villager. She didn't have any car. She didn't have a bike, a motorcycle. The car was just gone. They drove Anna Beatrice across the border into Guatemala. They sold her into a, they, they they raped her along the way. They sold her into a brothel in a town called Esquintla, where there were child prostitutes and adult prostitutes. And Anna Beatrice was forced to service 20 to 25 customers a day. You're talking a six-year-old girl that's probably not much higher than my waist. The only reason the police knew that that was going on, the government officials knew that brothel was there. We deal with a lot of child prostitution in Central America. The only reason that they raided the place is because one of the neighbors complained enough, but not that there were children being sexually used, but because Anna Beatrice was crying at night and the neighbor couldn't sleep very well. So when wow. so they called, they called uh, the police. The police eventually came. They did the raid. They took out the kids. They called me up and they said, we have this girl. We don't have a uh, last name. We don't know where she's from. We don't know what country she's from, but she speaks with an El Salvadorian accent. Can you take her? And I said, oh, same thing. You know, I, I don't really want to. I already have too many kids. They're sleeping on the sofa. They're sleeping on the floor. Can you take her? If you don't take her, we're taking her into a juvenile detention center in Guatemala City where she's going to be gang raped. She's going to be beaten up. Her life's going to be shattered. She's already suffered enough. Wow. What a, what and, and a I, um, responsibility it, it must be when they make those calls to you. You must feel, how, how, does it, how does it feel when you say, okay, I can take one more, I can take one more? Oh, you know, Donna, it, you, you, you get the sense of, um, that's an excellent question. I've never been asked that question. You get the sense that, that this is why you've done what you have done. This is what you are prepping for. Even though it happens mm-hmm. repeatedly, you get the sense that this is what you've been in life training for. Again, going back to my story about how I got involved in this work. You know, originally I was going to go into law and business, but then I, got, I went into this work um, you know, totally by surprise. But when you look at the, after, the pieces as they fall together in retrospect, you go, yes, this is what I was training for. So you get this call, 
can I take in a seven-year-old, now seven years old, uh, little, you know, little girl, no bigger than my waist? And you go, yeah, I can do it. Um, I'm having the girls sleep in the living room. The boys are sleeping in the bedroom. You know, um, I can do it. And you raise them like a family. Well, we, what, we would, what we did with Anna Beatrice is we ended up every weekend. You know, we, so she went, we got her involved in school. We got her physical because she had some physical problems developed because of her experiences. We got her physical help. We put her in counseling. And then, when she, and then we started to say, let's go find your mom. For every weekend, for about two years, we'd get her in a car and just drive back across the border to El Salvador and drive up and down village roads. Just pick a direction, just pick a road, just go and see if there's anything she recognized. And, and there wasn't. She didn't recognize anything. The trauma of the abduction just kind of blocked everything out. Now, those child abductions happen here in the States, too. Again, it's the, it's the minority of the 900,000 who go missing. Um, you know, I think, it's, what did I say, 58,000? Right. Um, you know, of the 900,000 who go missing, you know, 58,000 are, are for sexual purposes. But, they, but a lot of these kids, if, when they go missing, the trauma just erases. It's like they shut down. And they don't, they don't remember the details sometimes. Anna Beatrice didn't even remember. No billboard looked the same. No corner, no shack looked the same. So we are never able to find Anna Beatrice's um, mother or village mother. or road. So eventually the, you know, the, the temporary guardianship Again, different judge said, you know, well, she's lived with you for this long. Um, she's in school. She's doing well. She's happy. She's safe. You know, would you consider a permanent guardianship or an adoption? I said, you know, yes. I mean, she's already my kid. She's already part of my, my soul. And, um, you know, let's, let's sign the papers. Well, she's married right now. She's a psychologist. She's married. She has two kids. And, again, I, I can't say she's not dealing with the trauma of what happened or the loneliness of where's my mom. She's doing pretty, pretty good. She's doing you know, pretty darn good. Now on the other side, you look at the mother and you say, what, where, where's the mother who's lived every day, every night um, thinking about where's her little girl. Now this happened in the early 1990s. Is the mother still alive? Is she not? It doesn't make any difference. Every waking minute, minute and every dream I'm sure little Anna Beatrice popped up and she's saying, where's my little girl? That's the horror of when children go missing. Mm-hmm. When, you find, when, when you are approached or you find these children, is reunification always the ultimate goal or is that not realistic? When, you know. Reunification, you know, you look at the situation, you ask yourself, why did the child run? Uh, a healthy child is not going to run from a healthy family, okay? And, and that's one of the biggest, you know, I do probably 150 presentations a year around the United States and around the world on, on children and different topics, like you are saying earlier, you know, safe dating, uh, family communications, what to do if your child runs, you know, missing children, human trafficking. Healthy children don't run from healthy families. Unfortunately, there's a lot of families that are not healthy, and the child is healthy or the family is healthy and the child is not healthy. And sometimes the child makes the very bad decision to hit the streets, and the streets are always the worst option. When I do a presentation, I'll, I'll literally drop to my knees. And trust me, 
my 58-year-old knees are not what they were when I was 30. <laughs> Neither are mine, but, and I'm older than yes. you. <laughs> but I'll drop to my knees in front of an auditorium of 2,000, 3,000 students, and I'll say, listen, I'm begging you. If you're a victim, and statistically 10% of you are victims of sexual assault, physical assault, alcoholic households, and it's probably higher. And if you, if you had a camera behind my head and you took a, a picture, I'd be able to circle the faces of the kids who are the victims because their faces freeze up. And I say, if you're a victim of physical, sexual abuse, um, alcoholic or drug addicted you know, families, get help. Talk to somebody. Get help. And the faces of the kids, of the ones who are the victims, freeze. And they're thinking two things. First of all, does he know my secret? And second, please don't make me cry. Because you, you, you sometimes see, and then if I see some kid's face welling up, then I move on, or I, or I do something silly, like go from my knees and topple onto my side if I see some kid just about to, you know, start crying. So I literally and don't ask me to, to my raise side. my hand, right, Patrick, because oh, you're not going my gosh, to self-identify. You, raise your hand, you everybody. Yeah, you would never have them. You would never have them raise their hands because, well, you couldn't for a number of reasons. But also, I, I did once do a, a presentation at a junior high school, a very large uh, junior high school, and there were probably 2,000 high school kids, junior high school kids in this auditorium, and it was on safe dating and, and, and date rape and how to stay safe from that. And I said, raise your hand if you personally know somebody who has been date raped. Okay, and this is junior high school kids. Okay, if you personally, not a friend of a friend or mythology or you heard a story, if you personally know somebody who's been date raped. Donna, 30, uh, 75% of the kids in that auditorium raised their hand. Three-fourths of the kids in that auditorium raised their hand. Wow. This is an, audito- this is an auditorium of maybe 2,000 kids. I personally mm-hmm. know, I personally know um, probably... Off the cuff, kids that grew up in my own world, sons or daughters of my um, friends, you know, of my social friends, mm-hmm. uh, probably a dozen kids who their first sexual experience was a rape, a date rape. Okay, and that's, those, are, those are friends of, or the children, the sons and the daughters of my um, social friends. It, 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 it happens out it's there, but if we're not talking about it. right? Epidemic well, it's, proportions, right? Epidemic proportions and so many things. It's, it, it's epidemic proportions because um, a couple of reasons. One, the internet. Everybody, this little, this little plastic and, and metal phone that I'm holding in my hand right now, my cell phone, is, um, uh, is in every kid's back pocket. And the parents are giving them to them and saying, if you need mommy, call mommy. If you're going anywhere, call mommy. You know, the, the, the cell phones are in the back pocket. And the moms think this is our safety tool, but they're not talking to the kids about online porn. The number five search term for eight-year-olds in the United States, according to Google Analytics, is the term porn. For an the number five search term for eight-year-olds is the term porn. Okay, so kids are seeing at eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, stuff I didn't even know existed until I was 30, 35. And it, it, so, it, so it lowers the bar on what's acceptable. It lowers the bar. It literally rewires the brain looking at the constant stream of porn. Um, And so the kids see it and they say, well, everybody's doing this. This is what you do with girls. This is how you do it with girls. 
75% of all online porn now involves some act of violence against the girl or the woman. They're pulling the hair. They're pulling the head back, you're, you know, pushing the arms down. It, it's not lovemaking. It's a violent act of sex. 75% of all online porn is somehow violence-related. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. And that's, what, that, that's, that's, what, that's the moray. That's the norm that is being ingrained into our kids at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. So when they start going on their dates at 13, 14, 15, 16, it's like, well, I've seen this for three, four, five years. Now it's my turn. Yeah, that, that's very that's very disheartening. That you know that that is what they are growing up on. Um, maybe I'm backpedaling a little bit here, but I probably should have asked you this in the beginning because um, I know we did have sort of a, a structure of questions. But I just kind of like <laughs> to go with the flow. It, it, maybe people do know what um, it means when a child goes missing, but one of your one of your thoughts to me was, what does it really mean? Have we have we touched upon that? Should we touch upon that? Are people's um, perception of what it means to go missing is it sort of skewed or by the media or just by our own experiences? Do you want to expound upon that? Since you did write present that to me. Sure. Well, you know, when, when a child, okay, speaking, just focusing here on the United States, you know, when mm-hmm. a child goes missing, it's really that simple. Um, the child does not come home. The child may go to school and not come home. The child may be playing in the sports field and not come home. You know, uh, you know in, in just reading up, you know, before this podcast, I, you know, one of the stats I came across from missingteens.inc was every 40 seconds, a child goes missing in the United States. Okay. Um, now, the children don't go missing. A lot of times I think a child's missing, you know, sexual predator grabbed him or her and threw him or her in a car. I always say him or her because when we think about child rape, a lot of times we think of little girls, and that's not the case. You know, there's boys and there's girls, and I use them both because we deal with both of them. And people think their sons are safe out there playing buckets or riding bike, you know, without preparation, without training, without that knowledge. But they're not. They're just as vulnerable as the girls. You know, so the kids go missing for different reasons. Um, probably a quarter of them are taken by a family member. You know, we, we, did, t- we did touch on that. It's mm-hmm. either because I want this child, I love this child, and quite often it's because, quite frankly, I don't care about this kid, but I want to punish you as my ex. So I'm going to take the thing that you love the most. Um, and then other kids hurt themselves. Some of the kids go missing and never come home because, well, my brother and I were, were camping once in Colorado mountains and he went out to, you know, just to go on a walk and I couldn't find him, couldn't find him, couldn't find him. He didn't come home. He had stepped into a crevice with flowing water and the crevice was probably 20 inches wide and maybe 20 feet deep. And it was filled with flowing water and he was just barely hanging on to both sides, dead exhausted. Um, and if he would have gotten more exhausted or passed out because of hypothermia, he would have just let go and been flown down that crevice. So children do go missing and never return home because they get hurt or they're walking on a stick or a log across a creek and they slip and they fall. That happens also. Um, the kids that we have to really be aware of and talk to are the kids that are vulnerable for disappearances at shopping malls at, um, by strangers um, or by most people who are, who, most kids who are taken it's not the grab and snatch and run, even though that does happen, but it's the seduction. It's the conversation. 
you know, maybe you saw a, a video clip and it's powerful, but some researchers went up to a park, you know, where parents were watching, usually mothers were watching their kids play. And they said, if I talk to your son or daughter who's on this playground, will they go away with me? And the mother said, no, we've talked to them. Never go with strangers. They're here. You know, if a stranger comes up to you, scream mommy and come to me. And he said, do you mind if I try? And mom said, no, because I know what's going to happen. A hundred percent of the kids who are approached by this man holding the puppy and said, hey, look, do you want to pet my dog? Oh, that's so cute. That's beautiful. Yes. What's your name? Jeffy, whatever. Um, I have more. Do you want to come with me? Sure. I'd like to see more. And they take the, the, the kid would take the man's hand, the researcher's hand, and walk away from the mother, not even looking at the mother. And the mother's face, which is on camera, is absolutely aghast, thinking, you know, that's my child. I trained her. I trained him. Well, not yeah. enough. Well, you know? not really. Is the lore still these days when, when they do try to abduct them? I mean, it used to be in, it, when I was growing up, I guess it was like candy or ice cream, or you're, you're talking about puppies and animals. I mean, what, what are the most common lures that, that these, uh, these people use? Um, by far, Donna, easily by far is affection. By far is affection. Okay, and we see it all the time. I just got done working a case here in, in central Minnesota with a district, with a county of prosecutor. Um, let, imagine this scenario. 16-year-old girl's online. She's out in the chat, chat room. She's, um, she's you know, complaining about her parents, about her mother doesn't understand her, her father's mean. You know, they don't understand kids. They don't understand her. And, and the parents, for their blame, are not, you know, reinforcing the kids. They're not keeping the communication going. And this guy goes on and will say, you know, hi, my name is, you know, I'm, I'm Brad or whatever. Oh, my gosh, you're so funny. You're smart. You're great. Well, no one's ever told me I'm good looking before. Well, you're beautiful. Well, my dad doesn't say that. Well, your dad's a jerk. Well, I know he is. So all of a sudden you have an affinity. Can we get together? You know, I'd like to meet you. You know, at McDonald's, safe place. And it's a seduction that's going on. And, and, you know, and that's by far the number one is affection. Because affection. people, and, children. And attention as well, right? I mean, people don't. Affection and attention. Right. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because people, people are, children are, 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 we are so busy. We are so busy nowadays as adults, as parents, that we forget that our children need us. I can't tell you, if I had a dollar for every time I've gone into a fast food restaurant and there's dad sitting at the table with his burger on his Facebook and his two kids are sitting there with their burgers looking at dad, checking his Facebook account, and the entire lunch, dad is on his cell phone and on his Facebook or texting or emailing, and the kids are just eating their burgers quietly and, and looking at dad. You know, and dad probably said, hey, kids, you want to go for a burger? Sure. They're thinking this is dad time. It's not about food. Communication. It's about communication and bonding. I had this. I had this situation. I gave this talk down in um, southern southern North Dakota, and afterwards, this this big burly rancher came up to me. Oh my gosh, he must have been six foot five, and he came up and and he said, "Can I talk to you?" And I said, "Sure." And he said, "Will you come to my house?" And I looked up at him, and I'm five eight, 160 pounds. He's probably 6'5", 320 pounds. And I thought either he has a problem or um, 
I'm, I'm about to be killed. I'm, I'm, I'm going to end up in the tree row somewhere, you know. So I said, yeah, I, I'll come talk to you. So I went to his house, went to his ranch. He said, would you like some coffee? I said, yes. I sat down. And then he sits down and this giant of a man starts crying. And what happened is his wife had died. He had one son. His son was 16 and went out one night and had a 10 o'clock curfew. And at the 10 o'clock curfew, the son came home at 10.15. And the man was in the door and said, where are you? Well, I'm late. I'm sorry. Where are you? You know, this is my castle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just going to bed. Good night. Don't go anywhere. You know, this is my house. And in short, you know, it's my way or the highway. It's my castle. You'll do as I say. And the son said, screw it. You know, if you want to walk out the door, you go. Screw it. I'm out the door. The son left, walked out the door. The dad slammed the door behind him. The boy took a couple more steps and stopped. And the son, or the, the, the father, locked the door. Now, the man is thinking, please don't walk away. Please, this isn't how it was supposed to play out. You know, turn around and come back and bang on the door and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the son is the reason he's stopping is because he's saying, Dad, open the door and say, come back. But again, they're, they're locked in this, this, this situation. Neither one of them will, will give. Yeah, or... Right. And so the mm-hmm. son keeps walking and the dad turns off the lights and the son never again came home. He oh wasn't seen God. at the small town gas station, the convenience station. None of his friends saw him. They didn't see him in you know, nowhere. And, and, and the, the dad said, he, he, just, he walked to the end of the driveway and disappeared. And what I tell people is, stop as an adult. We have all the power. You know, disengage. Say, you're late. Uh, go to bed. I love you, kid. We'll talk about it in the morning. Love you, dad. Good night. Make yourself say that. Disengage. We have all the power. And then the next day say, hey, listen, we have rules because I got to sleep too, and I love you and I worry about you. Don't forget to use the love word. Kids are dying to be told that they're loved. My, you know, my, um, I don't think I've heard my dad say, uh, I love you, to me personally, individually, I'd say in 45 years, if even. If even, okay, I would have killed it to have heard that growing up. As it is right now, he's he's you know in his 90s, and um, uh, you know he that's probably not going to happen. But I, as a person, I would have killed to have heard that word come from his lips. You know, Pat, I love you, and and what, who of us? I would remember those words forever. You know, who of us wouldn't be in that same situation? Keep the communication going. Keep talking. Keep going. As adults, we have all the power. We don't have to get into struggling matches or or power games with our kids. We have all the power. Disengage and say, you know what? I'm not going to fight with you. I love you more than life itself. Go to bed. I'm going to bed. Let's go and grab some coffee. That's how it should have turned out. But what what would you hypothesize might might have happened to that young man? I mean, where where did he um, go, or did you talk to him about that situation? Well, you know, it, 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 I'm sure it was not a good outcome uh, because you know there was a, it was a small town. There was a convenience store, a 24-hour convenience store, gas station. They didn't see him there. None of his friends saw him either in that small town or in you know the next largest small towns, which is kind of how it is in rural areas. Nobody just he went to the end of the parking lot and disappeared. 
What do I think happened? I would guess he walked to the end of the driveway, turned right or left, was walking down the dark road. Um, somebody was driving along, pulled over and said, hey, you need a ride? He said, sure. And um, could have been sexual predation. It could have been, he just kept walking, just went wherever the car was taking, was taken somewhere. Um, probably someone who's picking up a kid walking down the road by himself, a 16-year-old, you know, at 10.30 at night, um, probably realized he had a very vulnerable kid. You know, I, I was How at a reception. How long had he been missing when the dad approached you? Uh, he had been missing about eight years. Eight years? You know, so he would, yeah, so he would have been in his young 24th. You know, he would have been in his young 20s, probably 24 or so. But this, this big, burly rancher of a man, you know, was, mm-hmm. was, was, was crying, sobbing like a baby in front of me and said, not a minute goes by where I don't wonder. Every time I go through a culvert, every time I drive by down a, a highway and I, I'm, I'm looking, I have one eye on the road and one eye in the culvert, you know, is my son there? Every time I pass somebody at a shopping mall, I'm looking and saying, is my son there? Well, your son's now 24 years old and he's not here. Um, you haven't heard from him. And the fact that the son didn't even write or call or, you know, because usually there'll be some, you'll, you'll edit out the bad and you'll remember the good. But the fact that he's never heard from his son tells me his son was probably picked up by a passing car. Uh, could have been, could have been known. Um, most abductions are not stranger abductions. Most rapes are not done by strangers. They're by people, you know, um, and, uh, my guess is he's probably picked up uh, sexually used um, either one time or continuously and then killed. You know, just right. because I, I can't it, imagine it, the dad, the dad's torment there. Yeah. Are there, are there loca- particular geographic locations? Um, Cause you're, you know, you've traveled internationally all these years where these children are most vulnerable. I mean, if you had to name particular areas. Well, you know, abuse and exploitation happens everywhere. Everywhere. Um, right, everywhere. Where they are most, most vulnerable are in, I would say, lower income areas, uh, lower education areas, um, where there is a higher incidence of alcoholism or, or sexual abuse. Um, I've done a lot of work on the Native American Indian reservations around the United States, and there's a tremendous amount of sexual abuse there for exactly for the reasons I've just talked about. One, alcoholism is very high because it's a genetic disposition. And so there's a very high level of alcoholism. And then also a lot of the families uh, have, you know, the kids stay with the tios and the the uncles and the aunties and the the brothers and the sisters. And there's a fair amount of sofa surfing as they call it, you know, so, so the mother might not even know where the child is, but assumes, you know, well, she sometimes stays with aunt Karen or sometimes stays with her brother, you know, Michael, um, and, and so they're not really sure where the, where the child is, you know, and, and also the, the, the hard reality is, is that minority children particularly are not given who go missing are not given a high priority rating. Um, and that's just kind of the way it is because they, they hit the roads and there's gone. There's, you know, 3.8 million prostitutes here in the United States, a hundred thousand child prostitutes here in the United States. And so if one more kid goes missing, and you have car theft, you have murder, you have rape, you have, you know, bank robberies and armed robbery. One more child who's gone missing is not going to be the high priority in the police docket. You know, so where there's where there's um, alcoholism or there's lower income, 
where there's broken or, or you know, um, you know uh, families that are, are not united, that's where it's going to be. But it yeah. happens on all levels. Keep talking. Keep talking to your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, just wanted to mention to you that next week we are. I've been we've been kind of um, building up to. A, I guess you could say a crescendo. Next week we're going to do a special um, show um, on um, gender bias and mis- young missing males because it's so the the media just don't give any attention to those. So using. Um, examples of cases from the Q Center. We we built a Facebook event, and uh, for the last several um, a few weeks, um, and we're just adding more and more families, and we're having a particular show with a particular family whose young young um, son has gone missing, and we're going to to feature that because the media just basically talk about young young you know uh, Caucasian blonde haired blue eyed females um, for the most part, and so we want to give young missing males their due, and that's what we're going to do next week on our show, Patrick. Donna, I gave a presentation once to a retired businessman's club, and I said, I'm looking at a room full of grandfathers, because it was just for men. It was a male's club, you know, retired businessman's club. I'm looking at a room full of grandfathers. Talk to your kids. You have this beautiful opportunity to be your kids, your grandkids' best friend. While the parent has to be the parent, and parents have to be the parents, children want their parents to be parents, not be their best friend. But grandparents, it's different. And I said, you know, if you don't, if, if people stop talking to the children, if you stop communicating, if the conversation drops down to, how are you? Good. Anything happened today? No. What are you doing tomorrow? Nothing. Keep talking. Go on walks. Go, to, go grab a burger. But don't look at your cell phone. Leave your cell phone in the car. Oh, my gosh, I've written notes to people, to parents who are sitting at a table in a restaurant. And as I walk out the door, I lay it in front of the man. I say, here, please. And he looks at it and says, talk to your children. They love you. And I had one man look up at me with anger, and I thought he was going to follow me in the parking lot. And I had another man look up at me, and he had tears in his eyes. And he put away the cell phone. But this, um, uh, what was I going to tell you there? Um, I lost my track. We're talking about young males. The I lost my thread. I'm sorry. I that's that's okay. Well, Delilah, you've been kind of silent back there, but I know you've been taking it all in, correct? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Patrick we have about is always four curious. minutes. Why don't you take the rest yeah, of the show? Yeah, Patrick spell Well, you, you know, you in, know the, in everything that you've talked about, Patrick, where do you see the future of, of your work? I mean, mm-hmm. this is never ending. Um, is there is there something in place that is going to carry this work on for you and, and for your organization? Mm-hmm. Well, that's an excellent question, Lila. The, uh, you know, a very famous man said about 2,000 years ago, the poor will always be with you. And that's true because the, one of the ways that I've, I've gotten a tremendous amount of strength is by, by remembering the, 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 the victory cases, the cases that we've won, the children we've returned home. And then if a child has died on us or I can't find a child and I do my best, I, I actually forget those cases because I can't live with the burden of a case that I've lost. And when I use the word case, I'm not saying clinical, as in this isn't a child. I, I live the passion of these kids. You know, the uh, parents have hired me to go into their houses with somebody, you know, when the child goes missing 
and I'll have the family leave the house and I'll sit in the kid's bedroom and I'll look around and I'll look at notebooks or talk to friends and I'll just say, if I was this kid going with the vibes of the parents that I picked up, are they angry? Are they assertive? Are they over-controlling? Are they psychotic? Where would I go? And, you know, I live the passion of these kids when I try to find them individually or institutionally, you know, internationally. The, the future of this is going to be remembering for the people who are doing the work, the law enforcement, the social workers, Q, the, the poor will always be with you. Count your victories and please forget about your losses so you have the strength to keep going, you know. Um, and also to, to talk with the parents because it starts with the parents. The kids are dying to have a father and a mother. And, you know, um, talk to them. Keep talking. You have the power. You have the strength. If you don't realize it, talk to somebody, a counselor, a minister, you know, um, and, and realize the strength that you have in that parenting relationship so that you never stop talking to your children. If you're not talking to them, somebody else will be, and you might not like what they're saying. Um, there are some great organizations out there. You know, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. My hat's off to them. They do fantastic work. Our, our very own Institute for Trafficked, Exploited, and Missing Persons, that's ITEMP, I-T-E-M-P dot org. I-T-E-M-P dot org. You know, or our phone number, 888-BE-A-HERO. People call in 888-BE-A-HERO and report to us suspicions of human trafficking, suspicions of missing children, suspicions of, of someone who's sexually abusing a child or physically abusing a child, and then we pass it on to law enforcement. It's, mm -hmm. it's when we care and when we know, when we feel comfortable talking about um, these factors that, that we can make a change. You know, I started telling you about this retired business ends group. That's what I was saying. And I, and I said, talk to your children. You're the grandfather. Be the best friend for your grandson. If he has a problem, he knows you'll take him fishing. He knows you'll go have a burger with him. If you don't, he'll run away. He could get into child prostitution. She could get into child prostitution. And this hand went up in the audience. And this man said, you're talking about the boys running away and being prostitutes? I said, yes. And he said, why would a woman hire a boy prostitute when she could go to any bar in the country? And I said, well, it probably wouldn't be a woman who's trying to pick up the son. And he goes, well, now I'm totally confused. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Okay, that type of naivety or innocence right. or lack of awareness. Right, it's out of, of the realm of their experience. They, they just couldn't conceive of boy on boy or whatever, right? Right, uh, you know, or, or a 45-year-old you know, man picking up a 12, 13, 17-year-old boy. You know, because right. he just goes, now I'm totally confused. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. And my dad was in that audience, and I said, Dad, can you believe that question afterwards as we're walking out to the car? And my dad said, you know, I'll bet three-fourths of the men in that room had that same question because yeah, that's not what they think about. Of course, it, and it's not in their experience. But is there, Patrick, you're 58. Is there somebody... In 10 years or when, if you, when you can't do this anymore, do you have one of your children to carry on your legacy, so to speak? Well, there's, there's several of them, actually. In Central okay. America, we have a program. Our program in Central America has 5,000 orphaned and abandoned children, and that's through the God's Child, God's Child, G-O-D-S-C-H-I-L-D, one word, dot org, God's Child Project. So we have 5,000 orphan and abandoned kids. The national director down there 
His name is Miguel Angel Alvarez Paz. Uh, he comes to the States, does a lot of great presentations. When I took him in, he was nine years old. When he was 13 years old and still in our program, he joined a street gang. He used to pack a gun. He used to do acts of violence. We got him out of that, keeping him in the program, because, again, we're raising these kids as, as, as replacements for their own parents. He's now the national director. He's two semesters away from graduating from law school and extremely well-respected, married and has three kids. That's great. Stateside here, stateside here one of my kids, uh, Ernesto Atkinson, um, and that's his website, ErnestoAtkinson.com. When I took, he, he was orphaned and on the streets at age seven, lived on the streets from seven, eight, nine, ten. I took him in when he was 10 years old. He weighed 29 pounds. Um, and he, I mean, heck, my left arm is 29 pounds. You know, and, he, <laughs> yeah. and, and he right now is a practicing family therapist. He's a professional artist that sells his work for eight and $10,000 a pop. Practicing family therapist, getting engaged, is married, getting married July 15th, living in Milwaukee, does work in Chicago and Milwaukee area. Um, wow. These people, these, these kids have grown up with the passion and they know the, they know the reality of the world, but they've also learned to separate out. This is what I do. I, I work with the seediest, darkest side of society, but that's not who I am. Personally, my personal well, hobbies are personal hobbies are gardening, collecting mm -hmm. books, and rebuilding old manuscripts from like the 16th century. You know, I hunt them down in auctions, and then I rebuild them. I restore them professionally. But gardening, yesterday I spent all day gardening. Um, as I was thinking through this horrible situation that we have going on right now in Southeast Asia, and by the time I was done trimming back my flowering vines, which, you know, it's, it's Minnesota, so they're just starting to flower now, I had come to the solution of how we're going to do it. Um, you know, we, we have to stay based in who we are versus what we do. As parents, we're doing the best to raise our kids. Keep talking, keep communicating. Don't get into power games. And also, don't forget who you are as Jeff or Jim or Sally or Donna or as a, as a person. Right. And I, I, I so agree with you. And you have to have those other kinds of activities to kind of degree or you couldn't keep doing this. And it sounds like your family is, is such a wonderful family. So many people to be proud of. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm very proud to know you. So this has been a, a wonderful, inspiring hour and a very touching hour. And I hope you will stay in touch with me so that we can perhaps do, do more in the future. If, if we can both, fit it into our schedule so um with let's that, make it happen let's make it happen okay we will do that with the help of your your worthy assistant um so we are going to close out this edition of shattered lives radio right delilah and uh we will say thank you thank you so much patrick atkinson um continue doing your good works let's stay in touch and everyone have a wonderful and safe weekend and we will see you next week Thank you, Pat. Okay, thank you, Delilah. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Donna. Right. Take care. Bye -bye. Stay in touch. Bye. Farewell. Well.